Actually, I'm glad that you said that because I, how how or where or when did you guys first meet Rosalind and John? John, ah. can you can you tell me? I, I'll see if her answer is 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 correct or not. Okay. <laughs> no, no, you get to answer because I oh, like so your right, answer. Right. Yeah, well, actually, we got to know each other during the Tivoli days, but I remember first meeting you because somebody from Exxon went to work in a team with you. And you were giving this presentation in IBM Raleigh about the new CUA front end for um, SPF, if, if I can remember yep, that word. It right. was dialogue and, tag language. Yep. And you were, you, were the, uh, you were the product project lead. And I was fascinated about all this, like this sort of new version of GUIs for back in that was the only way you did. Anyway, that's what we met. And then we met further during the sort of Tivoli boom. When was that? What year was that? Do you recall? Oh, this would have been um, <laughs> uh, like when, when did the CUA stuff? It was in the late 80s, I guess. Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of uh, Z DevOps Talks with Chris and Chris. Uh, we... Uh, this is session. What is this, Chris? This is what three or four of our lockdown series, I think. I believe this We're, is session. Oh, I don't know. Maybe session four. Maybe it's yeah. session four. I believe. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I'm just losing all, all the days are just kind of like blending in now. There's no predefined week or weekend. It's just kind of one long continuous stretch of time. So, um, but but uh, we uh, yet again. Um, we are joined by Rosalind Radcliffe. So thank you again, Rosalind, for joining us. Happy um, to be here. And she actually, um, I don't know how you did it, but you you brokered a deal uh, somehow. And we have uh, John Willis with us as well. So thank you, John, John, for being with us. We appreciate you being yeah. here. Um, so I, you may have noticed or not, but I was creeping on your LinkedIn. Um, but it, you've um, uh, you've you've been in the business you know, for what, 40 years, it looks like. Um, hey, 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 knock that off. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, no, no, I think that's great. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's good. It, you've got, uh, so you've built 12 startups, founded five, uh, you've had three exits. I saw one, one, one or two in there. I think some of your startups are now part of Docker, I think, or something. Is that, is that yeah, true? Yeah, I sold the company. I mean, it's just not to bore everybody, but I literally – in like 1980, um, left New York, went down to Texas, not even knowing what to do, wound up at Exxon. And yeah. they threw, back then it was the oil boom and they just threw me into, here kid, do this. And it, the, the do this was basically modifying IBM, oper- the, the, you know, the pre-390, 370 operating system. So, uh, you know, literally, you know, as a kid, they, these ge- physicists and all this, we, we couldn't, we couldn't get enough. I mean, put it if if we got a new release of the uh, mainframe operating system, the first day we had it, we'd have to change like all the max block sizes from like 32k to four million. You know, so wow. I was thrown right into the fire pit right yeah. off the bat of being you know an IBM mainframe. I was modifying you know core operating system, you know the first 4k of memories, and then I went off after getting sort of you know just five years of just constant assembly coding. I got into my first startup and uh, we did, we wrote a monitoring solution. In fact, ironically, 
we wrote a monitoring solution to beat uh, to go against Omegamon, so if that, oh. <laughs> which basically became an IBM product. But we wrote uh, it was yeah. called uh, the Monitor from Landmark Systems. So okay. it was four of us that said we sat down and said, "How do we create a product that's better than Omegamon?" Yeah, and oh, that's uh, wild. That's very cool. Yeah, so you've 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 seen it all. Um, let's see. Um, I have so much here. Where do I want to go? Oh, you're also a co-author co-author of the DevOps Handbook. Um, and I and I, I I'm I didn't recognize the name at first, but we actually had Gary Groover on uh, oh, this Gary's last great. this last yeah last episode. So he was uh, chapter eleven is all about Gary. Um, and then you've also I saw that you've you and Gene Kim, I think, are you, are you doing the beyond, you have the beyond we did, the Phoenix we did project. We did an audio yeah. only book. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just quickly, the, the, the Phoenix project was a purposeful rewrite of Elliot Gorat's The Goal, which is mm-hmm. sort of the canonical book for every industrial engineering degree student yeah. ever. And Gene had this 10 year vision of like writing a modern day version. The goal was sort of enclaves and automated robots and, you know, most people who are listening probably read the Phoenix Project. It's an updated version. Well, Elliot Gorat, I think it was 20 years after um, after he wrote The Goal, he did this audio called Beyond the Goal. Oh. And uh, as I do sometimes, I'm always pestering Gene about, let's do this, let's do this. And <laughs> about 90% of the time he says no, but every once in a while he says yes. And, and that project was a labor of love where we just did an audio version of really sort of Deming, Gorat, um, lean, we dissected lean, safety, resilience, the works from, you know, Ospar, Woods, Dr. Woods, Dr. Cook. Okay. Uh, okay. Anyway. Yeah. So that was uh, one audible credit, y'all. One audible yeah. credit. That's all it takes. <laughs> that's <laughs> cool. You got I'm an extra to, one out there. So, yeah, that's cool. I'm going to have to check it out. All right. Well, I don't even know where we were. I think, um, Moving on to first topic with Z DevOps talks with Chris. Yeah, and Chris. well, I think one of the biggest things. I mean, I have some topics here. I mean, we could talk about DevOps and culture and large enterprises. Um, you know, I had some ideas around like necessary ingredients. You know, like John, what you know, maybe how that relates to some of the work that you're working on now. You know, the good, the bad. Um, you know, I, I you, you you tell me what 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 what's what's at the what's at the top of your list. Yeah, you know, um, it, it's it's interesting, you know, because you know. You go to my LinkedIn. It's funny, on my LinkedIn page for years, I decided I wouldn't even talk about anything other than, you know, sort of the last 12 years of my career, right? Why sure. bother even telling you about the first? But now, you know, being at Red Hat, now part of IBM, I think, yeah, hey, maybe I should actually fill in the blanks going all the way back. So I've just updated my LinkedIn. But um, the I, I started this... Um, Last September, Andrew Clay Schaefer, who's theoretically my boss, but he's really my friend and, you know, sort of a a co-creator of this. There's about four or five people that you could say are co-creators of the DevOps movement. And, And what that means is shoulder of giants and thousands and thousands of people who actually have created it. It's just there were people in the initial, initial conversation. Andrew was one of them. Um, Obviously, Patrick DeBar was another. Um, I was fortunate. I was the only American that was actually at the first DevOps day in Ghent. And then, um, you know, and then brought that back to the U.S. And we, me, Damon Edwards, uh, who's somebody I do uh, DevOps Cafe podcast with, Periodically, you know, we started the first, we ran the first DevOps day at, at LinkedIn and Mountain View. And, 
and you know the rest is history. Uh, but Andrew um, and Andrew was the founder of Puppet Labs. He he was involved in a lot of this stuff really early on. Mm-hmm. And he approached me in September and he said, "Hey, what do you think about coming to work for Red Hat with me?" And to be honest with you, my first response was. Andrew, did no. you call the wrong number? Did you, <laughs> did you think you were talking to somebody else? Do you don't you know me, Andrew? Like I don't work for big companies, and uh, and um, you know, and you know, a week later we're on a call with Jim Whitehurst, and you know, Jim's kind of asking me the same question, and I'm like, okay, you know, this is, you know, I'm 60 years old. I'm like, you know, I'm, I've never had a real big megaphone. You know, I've always been part of you know, Gene Kim and the different tribes. Sure, but, but this could be fun, right? And so and and oh by the way, John, you know Kevin Bear, the co-author of the Phoenix Project, and this gentleman Jay Boom, who's been working with Kevin for years, who two people I incredibly respect, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm going to get to get paid to hang out with these people all the time. Yeah. And so one of the things we started thinking about is, okay, well, if we're going to do this, like you know, okay, well. Hey Jim, my new buddy Jim. You know, you know, just sort of kidding. I've met him <laughs> twice, but um, I'm like, if, if we're gonna do this, let's do this right, right? Like, I mean, like, yeah, yes, okay, you want to bring in these four people who have big names, and and but like, but like, like we don't just want to be sort of a showboat, right? And and so what we started talking about is even before we sort of came on board at Red Hat, which was all right, first ten years DevOps, good, great job, everybody. Take, take a moment, pat yourself on the back. Everybody, everybody listening, everybody involved, the thousands and thousands of people who have done incredible work here. Like, yes, take a short breath, done great. But if in five years we're basically still talking about like, you know, uh, deployments and GitOps, like we failed miserably. And so the, the question that we talked about, if this team was going to form, we, it was called, it's called the, the Global Transformation Office, for lack of a better um, acronym for the team but like let's really get serious about the next 10 years right like like let's not just sit here in you know in 2019 or 2020 and say hey you know we're great you know we got cid you know everybody's deploying a gazillion times a second and like all life is awesome like what are we going to do to have this narrative for the next i mean if you think about 10 years ago the narrative of what IT looked like was really sort of ugly. In fact, mm-hmm. um, going to that first DevOps day in in Ghent was a, a critical point in my career because at that time I was – in fact, it was a couple of things. Meeting Luke Canise, who was the, the original creator of Puppet Labs, and going to Ghent, I was kind of getting tired of this as, as a line of work because hmm. I was feeling like we're not really moving the ball. Yeah. And people are spending tons of money. You're going into these situations trying to help people. And at the end of the day, you're not – even with your best efforts, you're just helping them. And then I meet all these young, passionate kids. I'm like, oh, my God. Like this this is actually where what I've been looking for. Yeah. And, you know, so for 10 years, this has been an incredible run. But right now, I fear that we're sitting in this like we're great. We're DevOps. We're awesome. You know, if we don't think about like, you know, what happened over the last 10 years, you know, let's double down. So anyway, long answer, shorten the answer, which is part of what our team has been thinking about is really, really two clever ideas, something called the five elements and something called the three economies. And we're really getting excited about Andrew Schaefer was over at Pivotal for like five years. He built a team very similar to what the team he's building here at Red Hat. 
and with great success. And, and we had a lot of discussions about what hasn't worked and what has worked. And one of the ways, you know, just short, what we say is the five elements are made up of really, um, you know, you can, you, you can, you need to see it sort of on a grid, but it's, and it sounds obvious, but it's development, it's um, ops, it's product and it's architecture. And, and in the middle, the fifth element is leadership. And it's like a Chinese medicine, you know, pre DevOps, we focused on development Mm-hmm. DevOps, the conversation was a sort of a, a balance theory between Dev and Ops. But like architecture in most you know, global 1000s is still back in the 90s. Enterprise architects, they're not even in the party there. And hmm. so and in product, I mean, most organizations, product management or product, it was just god awful. So one of the things we've been talking a lot about is how do we sort of use that as a canvas to say, What's your sort of health balance? Mm-hmm. How do you how do we put this into at least you know I mean there's a lot more elements but let's just start with stop having sort of a bimodal conversation about like dev and ops which has been great for the last ten years. Let's have this the five element conversation and think about sort of the balance. If we can't get architecture into sort of the design and the requirements and the, to the DevOps lexicon then we're, we're doing something wrong. Anyway, yeah. sorry now, for the long answer. No, that's great. I mean, that's what we're here for. And, and Rosalind, I, I mean, you must see that in your travels or, or I mean, is, is what John is saying, is that, uh, I mean, is that emblematic of the current state of this, you know, of, of, of software delivery and software design? Do you, do you see that like maybe architecture and product and, uh, and leadership to some degree or are these components that are maybe missing with some of the things you're seeing? Yeah, so I'm always constantly saying it's not really DevOps. It really should be biz dev sec QA inf ops or whatever you want to call it. Add add in every set of acronyms to make sure that we're including everyone. Because if if you just do DevOps, you if you just consider dev and ops, you don't consider the entire solution. You don't have the entire process. And so it it's critical that we're including all of the parts of the organization as part of the process. And so yeah, what John's saying is, you know, what we keep saying, if you're going to look at an enterprise from a DevOps standpoint, you got to include everybody. And Along those lines, infrastructure and the systems themselves, I actually think is one of the areas that in the DevOps movement, we haven't been considering enough. We all talk about architecture and microservices and whatever, but do we actually think about how do I architect the infrastructure? Because hybrid cloud is going to exist for a long time in this picture that John you're describing it it fits this model of on-prem off-prem a combination of resources and systems that our enterprises are going to have and so they need to include everybody you know obviously totally agree I mean it's funny you know like especially I I, I don't really like the hybrid cloud but like I don't want to like waste our time debating I like hybridity you know I sort of pick that up you know when I you know, sold a company to Docker and was living in the Docker world where you could see the, the hybrid cloud is sort of a dangerous conversation, right? It's it, 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 depending on how it's presented and how it's interpreted, you know, some people might see it as sort of, you know, 
infrastructure arbitrage and I can just fluidly move, you know, workloads around, you know, with some magical wisdom or whatever. But, but like physics demands that that's an untruth, right? Like the universe and physics are like, yeah, there's things like virtual switching fabrics and like, so, um, so I've always been negative, but I, but the point I'm actually agreeing with Rosalind is that, um, is that the, you know, when we think about infrastructure, I remember early on, I was one of the original Clouderati, not to brag, it's a nonsense term, but there was like <laughs> maybe 12 or 15 people that, that I think it was Sam Johnson called the Clouderati. And I was part of that original group, right? And, and back then there was this sense about like cloud was going to win the big switch. It was all over, you know, yeah. this is like 2006, 2007, 2008. Mm-hmm. Here we are in 2020, in, in most Global 1000s, I would be generous if I said 15% of their workload has gone to cloud. Hmm. And that's generous, right? And mileage varies. So this the, the fact that we will be in, in, in a, a hybridity state for certainly the rest of my life, you know, and, and, you know, and I mean, this is going back to the IBM thing. This is the thing that like most of the kids – God bless the kids today. Like they come out of Google and they're smart and they're, they're, they're geniuses. And like I love about half of what they do. But the half that they have no clue is they've never worked in a bank and never seen a mainframe. Don't even mm-hmm. understand the, the, the internal infrastructure of just commerce, mm-hmm. real commerce, you know, banks, insurance companies, healthcare. Sure. And that, you know, there was a study out like a couple of years ago, 100 of the top, top 100 banks, their system of record – is IBM mainframe. And that I don't see that changing. How there's the, the I mean Sabre's still running TPF. What's wrong with TPF? <laughs> I, it's not, the I, fastest I, transaction I, I mean, processing. No, 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 the point is it wasn't to to, to 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 dump on TPF. It was that the 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 hardened infrastructure of commerce is still a high percentage when you get into the the, the core system of record stuff most likely lands on some an IBM mm-hmm. mainframe. And and again, that, that the biggest problem in the DevOps conversation in 2020 is that probably 70% of the people that are driving, maybe eight, again, I'm being generous at 70%, have no idea what anything looks like after you get past like MuleSoft. <laughs> you know, like once you go through some uh, gateway that, you know, that 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 sort of builds an abstraction from all the modern stuff to all the, you know, what we would, I don't want to get yelled at, but could be called legacy stuff. Her- and, heritage. And, and my problem is I go into organizations and, and literally most of the people in the organization have no idea. They just see this like back-end dependency that, that they just don't even know, you know, red, green, yellow. When something yeah, I, I think it. I, I think it is important for people to recognize that that backend stuff that they don't understand, they need to apply those same processes, practices, principles, etc. To, but you're absolutely right. I, I'm, I might not disagree with you on the eighty hey, percent <laughs> people aren't recognizing that. Um, I mean it. It's sad. Uh, I don't know how long I've been talking DevOps for the mainframe, but there's still people who don't recognize that they can do similar processes, practices, et cetera, with those backend systems, understanding that they are 
different, though. Yes. I mean, yeah. a, a banking system. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do a thousand deploys a day of my accounting system. One, if I was, then I've got a bunch of bad code. It works. I do need to make updates, but it it's not the same kind of numbers of updates that I might do in other systems. But that doesn't mean it doesn't need to be part of this whole picture. You're going to move as you're going to move as fast as your slowest part. And so everything needs to be considered. And that is the biggest problem I see is that most companies can't deal with the fact that, you know, in fact, you know, again, probably the, the greatest disservice you know, Gartner has ever done is the whole bimodal conversation, which, hey, everybody calm down. Don't worry about that stuff. You know, like, oh, thanks, because we were really worried about how do we integrate? How do we how do we make this sort of a systems approach? I don't know. You don't have to worry. You know, like it's bimodal and like system record, just uh, put it over here and then all the new stuff. And, and so but it's I'm not just blaming Gartner, but I think a lot of companies feel like that's a uh, you know, uh, a mountain too high or a bridge too far. And, and you're exactly right. I mean, it, you, you know, in, in complex systems and systems thinking, I walk into an organization and they'll have all this sort of telemetry and data dog and, you know, you name it, New Relic, and they've got all this stuff. And then when you ask them about where all the big problems come, and not a problem because they're legacy, problem because the brittle interface between modernization and legacy is really the issue. Um, where do most of their problems occur? And they're in that sort of downstream thing that happens beyond the gateway. <laughs> and 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 like, okay, where's your telemetry there for the modernization and the knock? And it's not there. And so you're not treating the whole system the same way. And you're right. Not everything you shouldn't be doing 100 deploys to sort of a mainframe accounting system or, uh, you know, a reservation system transaction system. But should you actually have holistic monitoring to show end to end from like a, a sort of an Amazon application that's running, um, you know, DynamoDB with a front end going to sort of node that is a new banking application, which, by the way, every time you hit a button is going back to um, – to a system of record, probably a DB2 record, right? Um, and you know, should you have a, should you be treating that as one view, one systems approach? Uh, when people talk about SRE, you know, are you do you have the the competent people and what do you mean mainframe people in SRE? What are you crazy? Get out of my building! Get lost! You know, <laughs> never come back! You know. So anyway, <laughs> it, so that that's absolutely true. And and since we at one point in time started about the Tivoli days, it, if we think back to the Tivoli days, and and somebody sent me a picture actually of something that I was presenting in two thousand, I don't know, early two thousands. It's a picture, and behind me is a screen of an end-to-end -end application with a front-end application and showing metrics all the way through to the back-end DB2 yeah. database, showing this end-to-end -end transaction tracking that we had even back then. But why aren't people using it? Why yeah. don't people do it? And, it, and I... I hope this idea of DevOps and, and, and the transitions that DevOps is going through to bring it to the enterprise means people start remembering that this end-to-end -end capability, consistency yeah. all the way through the process is really important because the front end is only one part. You need to know what's going on in the back, yeah, too. No, no, 
you, you know, I mean, I think about some of the things. It's funny, and I remember just meeting, you know, not to throw anyone in the bus because I love all these people. But I remember meeting John Ospar for the first time, right? And he's he's credited as sort of a watershed moment, like his his presentation in uh, 2009, O'Reilly Velocity, which was 10 deploys a day at Flickr, right? I, you know, I was in the room. I, I was sort of at a little narrative that people were throwing up in the back. You can't do this. This will destroy mankind. You know, humankind is you, you 10 deploys a day in a production. How, you know, but um, I remember like in that same day, I was in another session sitting in the back of the room with him. I know him. One of my places I worked with, I was one of the original people as part of Chef. And um, and I sold him Chef, and that's how I got to know him. But um, we're sitting in the back of the room, and he's, you know, like he's got this telemetry of, of at the time it was um, – I'm not sure if he had been at Etsy yet or he was still at Flickr. I can't remember. But I guess he was Flickr, yeah, because he did the presentation. And then he said, John, let me show you this new stuff we're doing on change management. And in fact, one of the genesis of of the um, of the DevOps Enterprise Summit, this is a true story. So I saw John show me this. I'm like, oh, my God, this is they, they don't even know what they don't know. You know, in the IBM world, we have so much maturity around change management. And, you know, I think about the things that I was involved in Tivoli, data warehouse. I mean, unfortunately, it was very early. The tooling was not sort of ready yet. But like some of those ideas in the early 90s, early, you know, mid to late 90s, like why they haven't survived today, because they would have perpetuated this end end. But one of the things I was talking to John and I went back to Damon Edwards, who I'd worked a lot with. And I said, we need to go to O'Reilly and actually, it was Jesse, uh, Jesse Robbins, who was the chair of Velocity, who I worked for at Chef. And, um, or I was at the time, I was an advisor and I eventually went to work. And we went to him and said, You guys, what we need here is like another track. Let's start inviting some of these large institutions that are running mainframes and change management and all. And O'Reilly flat out rejected it. And then that conversation sort of continued with Gene, and eventually it became the DevOps Enterprise Summit. But, but I always thought, like, boy, if you could have John Osborne on a stage with the person at Chase or you know J.P. Morgan Chase um, talking about change management in parallel, like the the the, 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 the at that time J.P. Morgan Chase wasn't there was no de- really DevOps conversation going on. Imagine what they could learn from John of how he runs Flickr and what John and everybody from that tribe could learn from all the sort of really, you know, and I think there's a sort of lost art artistry there in what happened in, in the nineties, basically from 95 to say 2005 of what IBM was doing. Some of the, um, some of the aggregation on um, event correlation and I mean, just phenomenal stuff that just, you know, from my view being out of that ecosystem for many years, was brilliant stuff that never got cross faded into into the you know most of the discussions that we've been having for the last ten years in, in DevOps. It is fun, sort of, to watch the reemergence of the discussion of how do we do automated operations, how do we bring insights into our operations. When I think about many of our mainframe shops that can do lights out operations. Right. This world, if we could bring them together, and and I think that's what we're trying to do, we from an IBM perspective are really trying to bring the mainframe world into the rest of the world so that it doesn't look so different. 
without losing the benefit, I mean, no, no chance of losing that reliability, scalability, et cetera, but working together, it kind of like the stuff we've been doing with Red Hat in announcing and making available our capability to run on OpenShift from a development standpoint. And I'm going to get the name wrong, but IBM WASI for Red Hat Code Ready Workspaces. 100%. That's it. You got Got it. it. That's the one. (laughs) Yeah. Only because I'm looking at it right now. (laughs) Yeah. The the problem with that name is an IBM name. Okay, here we go. Oh, it's an IBM name concatenated with Red Hat name. We can make life miserable. But by bringing the same kind of concepts into this uh, mainframe and bringing the the things together. So I I know you don't like the term hybrid cloud, but when I think about hybrid cloud, give my definition, might not agree with anybody else's, but it's really the idea that cloud means it has a set of capabilities in a system, including self-service. And what we want to do is it doesn't matter what system you're running, uh, if I can provide self-service in addition to the all of the other cloud attributes, then it can be anywhere. And so a mainframe, honestly, is a cloud in itself, in a sense, especially if you provide self-service. But if we can make things work the same, so by bringing a ZOS sandbox into the code-ready workspaces, bringing a modern development environment for COBOL or PL1 into that environment, then it looks the same. I can work on it the same way I do anything else. And maybe we can get rid of this, I'm afraid of that Z-box back there. Yeah. No, I think you've been, honestly, you've been doing great work. I, I remember actually kind of funny, you know, about sort of our histories is when I think it was the first, probably first, it was more likely the first you would know or the second one where you put a proposal in and and Gene had called me and said, look, there's a there's a proposal from IBM about DevOps and uh, and um, and Z. And I'm like, oh, my God, I know her. <laughs> this would be great. This is awesome. She's amazing. Like, you know, and, uh, you know, and your, your sort of uh, tenure with the DevOps Enterprise Summit and just the IT revolution has been just fantastic, you know, bringing in, you know, doing sort of like great work to expose you know, how like, you know, mainframes can be DevOps too. And, you know, it can, it, all those things, not to trivialize it. But, you know, I think one of the problems that we, we just continually have, you know, I, I this is going to be a weird segue, but um, I remember the first time I went to um, Bulgaria and Sofia, right? And they were just like tearing down all these monuments and all this stuff. And I thought, you know, in like 20, 30 years from now, they're going to be like, we probably should have kept some of those monuments, right? They were beautiful historical, you know, references and you know we do that as IT tribes, right? You know, sort of the 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 DevOps tribe wants to start a fresh. You know, we've got a new message here. Like, I don't want to hear any of the old message. We've got to drive this new message. It's a stake in the ground, and so you start like ignoring all the prior art from the past, right? And it's it's sort of like everything prior, everything was behind me is like like um, the old sort of movie cliche, right? Um, uh, what is this prelude, right? I don't know. But um, the, the point is that we, we come in and sort of wipe the slate clean because a lot of it was wrong, right? And then so this new idea, and so you, you call it DevOps or you call it cloud. And, and, you know, and so I think, 
you sort of lose that prior art in every time this happens, right? And by the way, I, I my biggest fear over the last five years is will digital transformation um, like sort of wipe out all the greatness of DevOps? Like, ah, no, no, well, you know, the, the DevOps team is on the 18th floor. You know, we'll let them continue to do what they do. But the digital transformation team, we're on the 14th floor and we, we've got it. Like, hey, but no, 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 stop, stop. Like, there's some, if you want to call digital transformation, fine. But please don't throw out all that great prior art that we've done over the last 10, 15 years with DevOps, right? So there's there's certainly a bunch of that that happens. And then it, it just takes, you know, people like us to sort of, Drive it back. And then, you know, two more points I want to make. I know I rattle on, but you shouldn't have invited me because you should have known that I'm a rattler. <laughs> but um, the, the two more points I want to make is that the – well, one is Scott Prue. So, like, if you – for anybody who wants to see somebody who's really taken sort of earnest approach to sort of mainframe, DevOps, holistic, he's at CSG. And one of his stories that I really loved, which was, you know, they have the mainframe – you know, services, they have all the new sort of digital services, smart device stuff. And one of the things that they they decided early on is they were on different cadences, but could they shift left testing? So they could they do on some of the new digital services modernization technology stuff actually earlier in the in in the process instead of waiting sort of a waterfall get the digital services smart device whatever iphone stuff into quasi-production and now see if it works with the mainframe they decided oh wait this is really kind of stupid why can't we just shift left very early in the process do mocks or do direct like you know uh, you know bdd type things uh, right as we're sort of in the building to call out the mainframe, you know, service APIs or gateway APIs. And, and it was, you know, and I've, I've, as I've consulted a lot of companies, I'm like, they're like, Oh, wow. Yes. Why don't we do that? You know? So I think there's a, a lot of opportunity there. And then again, back to the, the digital transformation thing, what we need to make sure is that we're not, um, as we have, if, if we can get, if we're ever going to get good at this <laughs> as an industry, we have to recognize those trans, you know, those transitions, and we we smooth the transitions from like saying, well, all that stuff is like baloney, and like we've got to do it all new. Really, sort of investigate the history, the prior art, and make sure you're sort of listening to all the right people, not just the, the you're not just the kids that show up from Google. I've been in, I've been actually in a room. This is this is a true story. I've been in a room. I can't say where, where the original on-prem, um, you know, GKE, you know, Anthos. Before it's called Anthos, they were basically trying to sell this to a customer, and half the room were you know a bunch of kids with pimples. Sorry, from Google, and then <laughs> <laughs> and then the other half of the room were people that had been at the bank for like 20, 30 years, worked with all. And so as they were showing the diagram, these young kids would be raising their hand going, hey, can we see the source code for that? You want the source code for the Tivoli administration system? You want the source code for, um, you know, data pipe? Um, like, no, you don't really have source code for those kind of things, young man. You know, um, it was it was almost like, you know, 2001 Space Odyssey <laughs> to watch Google ask these people of 25, 30 years at a bank. And again, these young kids that I'm making fun of are brilliant, 
young individuals. It's just, you just until we can figure out how to have this sort of honest conversation about the end-to-end systems of modern commerce businesses, we're just going to keep falling into these false sort of traps, if you will. Sure. Yeah. Now, you, um, one of the things that you brought up in this discussion is this forgetting the past. Yeah. And it's one thing that dr- has driven me nuts for years. One of the things that I remember early days of OS2, and this is IBM and IBM. So this is one company. Um, I heard uh, someone attending a share conference actually from IBM, and they were presenting about all this new cool stuff in OS2. And of course, the ZOS developers are sitting in the room and customers, and the the kid said, we invented protected memory, basically. (laughs) I mean, that's a summarization. And um, somebody in the room stood up and kind of gave him a history lesson. That's hilarious. It's it's that kind of thing that we need to figure out a better way to help take that knowledge Mm -hmm. of these people who have been in the industry for the last 40 years and take that core knowledge and transfer it in a way that's positive to the next generation. So they're not seeing it as negative lessons. But we also, I mean, there are things, DevOps has brought lots of things that are better not that, okay, reality is we knew automated testing was a good thing. We just forgot about it. We knew infrastructure as code, you know, was a good thing. We just kind of stopped doing it. But these ideas, this idea of automating and, and all of the things, we need to take the good that we're learning and keep bringing it forward, but remembering the past so that we don't lose all those lessons. I I would yeah. agree with you that I'm somewhat worried that as people, you know, they built up a DevOps team and now the DevOps team's over there and now they're building up a digital transformation team. Wait a minute. No, we need to be improving the overall process and continuing to evolve. You know, so ending on sort of a high note, right, which is, you know, I, I was um, the, uh, the, you know, the Red Hat has the OpenShift Commons and, and you know, pre-pandemic when I was over in London in January and and I'd met one of my early IBM heroes I'd forgotten about which and I've even forgotten his name now unfortunately but he's at this um, OpenShift Commons and it's all sort of about you know OpenShift and DevOps and I'm talking about DevSecOps and he comes up to me and says hey John I want to introduce myself and he name I'm like oh my god you were like back in the day you were the CICS guru I mean you were the god back then he's like yeah and I know you know he was very sort of shy and not taking credit I can't remember his name but like he was UK based out of Hursley right that's where CICS was like and I remember working on a CICS monitoring product and like like everything this person said but so the good news is you Rosalind, me, um, I mean, we're, we're coming out of the woodwork. So people are willing to say, listen to us because, you know, our, our resumes are, are pretty strong. Um, we're getting in, in the faces of a lot of these younger people. So I think, there, I think there is this sort of crack in the armor that's happening where like people, with people with authority that have a history that we do are being listened to. Right. And then I think the second, probably the more important point is one of the reasons, you know, you're working with Andrew when he said, hey, do you want to come to Red Hat? Like, are you out of your mind? Okay, let's talk to Jim, you know, and like Jim Whitehurst asking me like 
what would it take to become the red? I'm like, yeah, I don't think I ever had a CEO of a $32 billion company ever asked me that question. Like, uh, <laughs> you, know, you got my attention, buddy. And, and then you know, working with Kevin. But the bigger thing was I started my career around IBM. You know, I've been a flea on the back. I hold, first part of my career, my first startup was, you'll love this. It's, it's a, it was a, a VTEM screen scraper for NetView for automated operations. <laughs> Every other automated operation product had one. You know, the candles and all those other companies had you know, screen scrapers. And, and, and at the time, NetView didn't have one. So me and my buddy of mine wrote one. It was a VTAM screen scraper. We sold it to about 10 or 15 companies. And then all of a sudden, the mainframe, <laughs> any discussion about mainframe just dissipated. Um, and um, but, but, you know, I spent a lot of burn time is, you know, from like being thrown, you know, writing patches in operating, MBS operating systems in the 80s to, to my run with Tivoli, to, well, to my startup doing screen scraping and spent five years of my life trying to get this, this thing where we would literally take CICS applications or IMS applications and throw them on GUI screens because we could use a Rex-based screen scraper, right? And then doing Tivoli. And then all of a sudden I get completely divorced from Tivoli, um, actually because of a company that, you know, that I owned and started, fractured, and my I was basically part of the divorce of the company basically was I wasn't allowed to work on anything Tivoli related. And I'm like, okay, well, this open source stuff looks good. And and I never looked back. But, but long story short, part of the thing that really was exciting to me, my heart of heart of hearts, was not only would I have you know, the executive of Red Hat ask me to come in and be an impact player for Red Hat, the fact that I knew that eventually I could actually possibly end my career reestablishing some impact on IBM. Anyway, so again, <laughs> end of story. So Rosalind, where do you, uh, we have, we have Red Hat OpenShift. Well, I mean, we don't have it, but it's Red Hat. I mean, we're, there's OpenShift now for Z. We've got Wazi. Um, I mean, where do you see this? I don't want to call it a marriage. It's more of a partnership. The, if, if, I mean, if you look at the language between, the relationship with Red Hat and IBM, it's actually very interesting. It's not, uh, it's not like, it's not, it's not like subordinate to one another. They're, um, they, 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 they both retain their identities, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So like, where do you see, like, what's, what's next for, you know, OpenShift and Z and these, these workspaces, these, you know, IBM, Wazi, you know, what's, what, 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 what would you like to see, you know? I think, I mean, I, I think actually John's saying things pretty well from the standpoint of I think we're trying to bring together the IBM history. And yeah. it, it, if you look at Red Hat, it is um, its culture, its open sourceness. Mm-hmm. And you look at IBM and its culture and its open sourceness. I, I mean, it, it, we were number one or number two in open source contributions before the acquisition of Red Hat. I mean, we were really close. We've always been supportive of this kind of community, but it wasn't what IBM was perceived for. And that has been a problem when we look at the perception of IBM. I think it's fun to hear stories from John and others because they've been around IBM long enough to know that IBM is a 
lot of things. It's done a lot of things in the past. It's built the first of many things. But people kind of forget that. They forget about our history. I think this this bringing of Red Hat and IBM together is to remind the industry that – Really, we are like-minded. We have a common goal. We are driving to the enterprise. We are trying to make this industry the best it can be for mm-hmm. enterprise customers. And and that's the other thing about IBM that's that makes us not the forefront in many people's minds. Uh, We aren't the PC company. We aren't the consumer product company. We are the enterprise company. We are providing solutions for the enterprises so that the banking systems can run, the insurance systems can run, the world can run. And so we're not forefront by bringing in Red Hat. Maybe we get more of the developer friendly forefront by doing the open shift on Z. Mm-hmm. We actually let customers scale up in a secure environment. The hyperprotect services, the, the capability to keep everything secure, uh, encrypted, and, and well-managed on reliable hardware lets you scale up to that enterprise world. Yeah. And we're bringing ZOS into this world in a way that makes it consumable by all of those kids that John keeps talking about. I get yelled at for saying kids, but I'm just going to follow this. <laughs> the next generation doesn't want a green screen. I got that. They want a dark mode. But okay, Let's give them the environment so that that doesn't look so scary or so different. Make it look consistent and honestly, make it easier to access. Running a sandbox in OpenShift that is a a test environment for ZOS, you can get your hands as a developer on a ZOS environment that you can play with, that you can break. You can do whatever you want. It's your own environment. So this learning, this experimenting, this learning what's already there. And what does Red Hat do? They make systems available. They make it easy for you to play with, easy for you to learn, easy for you to experiment, easy for you to contribute from an open source standpoint. The work we're doing with Ansible to to bring Ansible into ZOS, so the same kind of systems management, you know, infrastructure as code kind of capability applies in the system, that's going to help everybody so that it's less different, still has its values. We're not taking away that that enterprise-grade system, but we're letting you use the tools that you're more familiar with in other parts of the world. I think this partnership is a great way of reminding the industry of what IBM has as its core and what Red Hat has as its core. It's trying to drive the enterprise as well. Um, as well as the developer community, as well as, as well as, but it works well in the enterprise. And I think, you know, I'm going to, I know we're getting winding down to the last couple of minutes, but in this is going to, you know, I, I, I've always been a big fan of Luke Gerstner, right? Like Jim Collins talked about him in Good to Great. And then, you know, you can't teach an elephant to dance. I've never met him. I wasn't working at IBM at the time in his tenure, but like it, it is clear 
what he did there. And it was, you know, he saw, you know, this is where I get in the style. I mean, go back to my early days. I mean, like IBM has been so many great things. And you're right. Like people, I was at KubeCon, you know, in the last year, and I won't name the company, but it was the CEO of a, of a big company that I'm a big fan of the company he worked with. And he was just dogging on me about, I can't believe that you're going to work for IBM. I'm like, well, I mean, it's Red Hat and IBM. Oh, but I'm like, buddy, you don't even understand the tentacles of IBM. Like the history, the, like they, they have, you know, they, they have the open door to every CEO of every Global 1000. The, the mindshare of, of major commerce is, is institutionalized around IBM. And, and so, you know, I think what Gerstner did, you know, it's, it's my opinion, was just phenomenal what he did from IBM. And so my nostalgic part of the history of IBM has always been there. Again, I started my career. I will not put Jim Whitehurst in the same category yet, <laughs> capital <laughs> Y yet. But I, I, I mean, I, I dug Whitehurst from the moment he came to Red Hat. And it was years before I even thought I'd ever be an ant on the Red Hat ecosystem. I loved his book. I loved what he did at Delta. I loved his, his open org. I think what he did at Red Hat is phenomenal. And I'm just pleased and happy that there's this possibility of this beautiful synergy of these two great cultures. And I know I'm sounding like a fanboy and a brand, but I'm like, you know, anybody that knows me for many years, like I, I don't suffer fools and I don't suffer um, gratuitous compliments. Like I, when I say them, they're real. Right. And, and I, I think, you know, I think getting Jim Whitehurst over there at IBM is going to, it's actually going to, um, create this synergy quicker and these two great cultures, I think hopefully this next 10 year thing, I think is going to be a lot of fun. That's, that's cool to hear. That's very inspiring. All right, John counterpoint. No, counterpoint. no. I, I, no, I know. That. What do you, what do you have? What's hot for you right now? Uh, just additive because I agree with everything yeah. you said. The yeah. only thing for me right now, the, um, this would be another whole sort of hour discussion, but I've been really <laughs> focused over the last two years on automated governance Okay. Uh, wrote um, a paper last, um, um, I guess, April uh, with Nike, PNC, Capital One, Marriott, and Microsoft. Uh, we, we created our first sort of reference architecture of what we call DevOps automated governance, how you can okay. sort of put the attestation and evidence in non-human, sort of uh, loosely blockchain, but digital signed so ah. switch your all your sort of subjective evidence in terms of change records and, yeah. and sort of conversations between human to human to digitally signed evidence of the things that you've done in the pipeline. Okay. And then recently I worked on a automated cloud governance project with FedEx, Cigna, and Kaiser Permanente. It was actually – I can send you the links, but it was it was actually Wall Street Journal did a write-up on it. Um, oh, cool. And uh, about yeah. how we're, we're asking cloud providers to actually show – attestation evidence back to us consumers as tenants. So those are two things I'll probably continue working pretty heavily on okay. the rest of this cool. year. All right. Well, good. Yeah. Yeah. Send the links and we'll, we'll include them. That seems, yeah. uh, that'll be some good, some good, some good reading for, for our listeners. Um, I'm done, Chris. I'm sorry we went a little over, but uh, we can wrap it up here if, if, uh, oh, if that's don't all right. With you. Oh, this podcast isn't about me. Come on. No, I think this was great. Yeah. No? Okay. Once, once again, right. these these podcasts are getting more and more fun. 
more and more yeah. fun every single episode. The the yeah. I mean it it helps the the caliber of guest that we have on Zdo Ups Talks with Chris and Chris. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> thanks you guys. This is fantastic. It was fun. Yeah. Thank you, Rosalind, for linking us up, and thanks John for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Love so, it. stay safe.